This week's Dvar Torah is dedicated to the soldiers who are fighting on the battlefield as well as the soldiers who are fighting in our Bate Midrashim. So it's my hope that these thoughts will help unify us as a people and bring Shalom to Klal Yisrael. So the Parsha of Nusso is known for its length. It has 176 psukim, the longest Parsha in the Torah. 176 is a very important number in terms of length because it's also the amount of psukim that we have in Tehillim Kufiotes, and it's also the amount of blot that we have in the largest Mesechta and Shas, Baba Basra. But Parshas Nusso is also known for the insertion of two seemingly unrelated topics, namely the Nazir and the Sota. So I want to primarily focus on the seemingly out-of-place insertion of the Sota, and perhaps we can gain an understanding of the Nazir as well. So Rashi famously tells us, and we find this also in Baruchos stuff, Samach Gimel Medbez, that the connection between the Sota and Truma and Maestros that are given to Kohen is that anyone who withholds these gifts to the Kohen will eventually need the Kohen to test his wife using the Me Sota, the waters of the Sota. So the Maral asks two questions. Number one, there are many reasons aside from Sota why a person would need the services of a Kohen. Sometimes people go to the Kohen for Carbonos to ask questions. So if that's the case, what is the connection between Trumos and Maestros and the Parsha of Sota? And secondly, why does the Torah use the Lushan of Ish Ish Kisiste Ishto? Why mention the man at all? This is all about the woman, the Sota. Just say that any married woman who strays away from her husband. So my Rosh Hashiva and my uh, Shadchan as well, Rav Yochanan Zweig, makes a very interesting observation, and he's Medayik in Rashi's wording. He says that Rashi does not say that the man refuses to give the Kohen his gifts. Rather, he withholds the gifts from the Kohen. Withholding is much different than refusing. When a woman goes and secludes herself with another man, when she's warned not to do so by her husband, she's showing that she wants to be her own independent person, not a woman that's controlled by someone else. So this is why the man is mentioned in Ish Ish Kisiste Ishto, the declaration that the Torah gives. His wife is essentially telling her husband that you can't control me, so therefore you, Mr. Husband, are part of the problem. It takes two to tango, therefore the husband is mentioned. But I want to take Rabbi Zweig's idea a step further. In delineating between outright refusal and withholding, we see a common psychological principle that dictates the psychopathology of some controlling narcissistic people. When a person refuses something, it's slightly more aggressive than withholding something. By withholding, the person is being what I guess we would call passive-aggressive. In my line of work as a therapist, I encounter many of these passive-aggressive individuals, specifically when it comes to marriage. One of the most common ways that a spouse will aggress the other, unless they are just flat-out violent people, is to withhold something from the other. And the most common way of being passive-aggressive in a relationship is withholding love and or intimacy. Obviously, poor marital communication styles factor into the passive-aggressiveness, but taking that away from your house, from your spouse is severely punishing your spouse. And sometimes shalom bias comes at a cost. 
So maybe you should just buy your spouse something that he or she will appreciate. I remember I was once speaking to a primarily Sephardi crowd, and a man came over with his wife after my talk. And I noticed that the couple appeared to be pretty affluent, to put it mildly. The amount of jewelry and the high price that they were paying to be at this program was more than indicative that this couple had means. Anyway, so the man gave me a piece of advice that he heard, he heard from his Sephardi Rebbe. He said, Dr. Lassen, if you want shalom, buy it. So giving gifts to your spouse and not withholding your love from one another is essential in keeping the family unit intact. As we've discussed in past uh, shiurim about the five love languages, so there are some love languages that help keep the family unit intact. And perhaps this is why immediately after the parsha of Sota, we read the Birchas Achonim, which end off with the famous words, V'yaseim L'cha Shalom. The whole parsha connects beautifully now. So first we talk about the Shvatim from last week's parsha, which are repeated again in this week's parsha at greater length. And then we have the Sota, which we know is connected to the Nazir, because anyone who sees the Sota in her disgraced state, as we say, they'll refrain from drinking wine, which is one of the things the Nazir does. So again, there is an aspect of refraining or withholding something designed to give pleasure. And perhaps that's the connection with the Nazir as well. And then, of course, we have the blessings of peace. And I saw this concept brought down by Mordechai Ilan in his Sefer Mikdash Mordechai, that national peace begins with peace on the home front. And this is why we see the constant refrain throughout our parsha of le mishpachosam le avosam. It's all about family. We are all family, but we need to work on our immediate ones for national peace. And this is why the parsha of Sota is inserted here. Our family unit has to be intact in order to have that ripple effect we all so desire. So don't withhold love from your spouse or your children, because you're only going to be punishing yourself and Klai Yisrael. If we work on our Shalom bias, it's going to filter into our Shalom Bein Adam L'chavero. And if we work on how we are Bein Adam L'chavero, then we can achieve national unity. As we mentioned before, our parsha contains 176 psukim, and the gematria of Anenu, spelled ayin nun nun vav, is 176. So let's all work on our shalom bias and hope that Hashem answers us, as in Anenu, our tefillos for shalom bias, national peace, and a salvation for Klal Yisrael. Good Shabbos.